0: Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to take a moment to shout out our new sponsor, North Carolina Public Radio. That's right, y'all. WUNC 91.5 has signed on to support the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, and we're so excited to have you as sponsor for this episode. Hey good people, it's Omishade Bernie Scott from the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. Let me tell you something, if I had a nickel for every person I had a conversation with who told me that they experienced menopause as a loss, I mean a deep loss, y'all. I would probably be a pretty wealthy person right about now. Well, maybe not wealthy, but I have a nice little chunk of change in my pocket. So many people reach out to me in my DMs or have conversations with me and they say, Omi, I feel like I'm losing a part of myself. I feel at loss around where I'm going and what my identity is going to be once I kind of navigate through this process of menopause. And what I realize is that people are grieving, right? Grief is not only associated when we lose someone physically, there's grief associated with loss, loss of relationship, the perceived loss of identity, the loss of home. And so if our bodies are our first home and you are going through a shape-shifting transformation, it makes sense to me that grief might be one of the most potent emotions outside of rage that comes with you along for the journey. This is why I'm so excited to round out our season three, our last interview for season three with Dr. Jennifer Mullen of Decolonizing Therapy. Dr. Mullen has dedicated her practice of providing mental health support to black indigenous people of color, queer people of color, women of color, to help them address the trauma they move within the world as a result of white supremacy, patriarchy, and misogyny. And she is affectionately known as the rage doctor. Dr. Mullen quite eloquently reminds us that grief and rage are siblings. And during our conversation, we dive deeply into what does it mean to experience grief and rage as you are journeying through this potent life change. My name is Omi Sade Bernie Scott. This is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, introducing Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Hi, Jennifer.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's my great pleasure. I have been following you on Instagram for a couple of years. And I think a lot of people during the pandemic, when you didn't have a lot of other distractions, it gave you an opportunity to do a deeper dive into things that you needed to hear. Mm. And I definitely feel like decolonizing therapy was one of those places I needed to see what you were posting. I needed to marinate on it. I needed to kind of sit with it because like all of us, we are all on our own journey around integrating our authentic selves. Yes. Integrating our authentic selves. And I know that with this menopause journey, so much of the work that I'm doing around narrative shift and culture shift is really inviting people not to think about menopause as this like catastrophic end, but a different kind of integration of a new part of yourself and a new part of your journey. And it's scary for a lot of people. It so is. Yes. Yes, But we'll we'll get into that because I want to hear more about how you might be working to support folk. But I want to give our listeners an opportunity to learn more about you and how your path and your journey led you to becoming a clinical psychologist. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and where you
1: grew up. Yeah, thank you. So I currently reside in New Jersey. I grew up in Hudson County in Jersey City, New Jersey. And then I went cross country, right? But <laughs> took a ruler and then how far can I go <laughs> while staying in the States? And I did my doctoral studies in San Francisco, in California Institute of Ventrical Studies. And what I did know is that I wasn't good at a lot of things in this world. You know, I think a lot of us can agree. We're not great at all these things, but I was really great at holding space for really difficult conversations. And I was really great at helping people feel as safe as possible. And I was great at holding space for trauma, <laughs> right? And and and, um, and I had this real big interest in healing, in ancestry and spirituality um, beyond what, you know, some of the pop culture references of today, if that makes sense. Right. And particularly like African spirituality, like going back to my roots and like reconnecting the ways that we used to heal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for me, my school at the time had a little bit of that, (laughs) no shade, but a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But what I started realizing throughout was that there was a lot that also wasn't included in our education. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) and a lot of what wasn't included was the pieces that involved Black, Indigenous people of color, right? Across the globe, across the globe. Mm -hmm. And when I talk Indigenous people, across the globe, right? And so I also found that a lot of youth, a lot of Black and brown youth, particularly from the inner city where I grew up as well, were often seen as, quote unquote, bad problems, diagnosed with all these big disorders. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I am saying is a lot of our pain stems from something much deeper. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I could keep going on, but, but so I was curious. Mm -hmm. I had a mouth. I I had some privilege being lighter skin, being conscious of that, being had to call in, called out for that, like really paying attention to how I showed up in the world. And then I started learning more on the ground through organizing back mm-hmm. in, you know, my 20s. I started, you know, going to protests, I started organizing behind the scenes when my health wouldn't allow me to be in the front line. I I'm giving you the quick and dirty here. You know, I yes, I yes, yeah. Yeah, I also took a really many big journeys and many big dark months of the soul. <laughs> spiritually emotionally i was married divorced i was with someone for 18 years and then separated and divorced and it was like the best decision i could possibly make in around 2012 2013 and believe it or not about a year a year later a year no 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 i'm i'm, I'm like a couple years later maybe 2016 is when i was quote unquote diagnosed or told that i went into premature ovarian failure are you serious? Mm -hmm. And so um, I was about 38, Mm -hmm. uh, 43 now, you know, and a lot of people don't believe that because you know how, how we, how we age. (laughs) And, but also because I think I run a youthful energy, maybe I'm told, I'm told, but what I realized even prior to that is that my hormones, what my stress levels, the overwork I was going through. I just recently left a university after 12 years. Mm -hmm. I was teaching. I was doing extreme crisis therapy. It was like community mental health. We had a wait list of 98 students, Mm -hmm. four counselors, Mm -hmm. right? So the students wanted therapy. They wanted the healing and and the institutions were not providing the right people in the right places, right? Right. And that's so key. That's so key. I want to loop back around
0: really quickly because I know that some of the folk who might be listening to this episode may have listened to the podcast before or not, but we literally had an episode earlier this season to talk about when menopause happens early, right? Um, Because one of the things that we're really clear about is that there's so many assumptions out there around what menopause is and who it happens to and how it happens. And there's an assumption that it happens exactly the same way with every single person and that Mm -hmm. every single person identifies the same way. And we know that's not true. But the conversation that we had earlier in the spring was with two people who experienced menopause early for two different reasons. One person because of cervical cancer and the treatment they received sent them into early menopause. Mm -hmm. The other person had ovarian failure. Mm -hmm. And when we lifted that up, Some people were like, I have never heard of ovarian failure before. I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know, or some people call it ovarian insufficiency. And it's like, Mm -hmm. what do you mean my body's not producing eggs? What do you mean I am now at this stage of my life going into menopause? And the the person who was on our podcast earlier started experiencing ovarian failure in their twenties and Mm -hmm. it was a full decade. Before they got connected with a reproductive endocrinologist who finally properly diagnosed them, to say you're not crazy, yeah, you're not making these symptoms up. They are not in your head. Yes, what you are experiencing and what you've been experiencing for well over a decade has a name, yeah, and also has a way for us to help you feel better yes. about this. So I'm grateful for you sharing that part of your journey because there's so many ways in which we are demystifying and decolonizing what menopause is and our understanding of this journey for people in their life. So that actually leads me to my my next question, because I love the name decolonizing therapy. I'm all about some unlearning. So it's like, how do we deconstruct these notions of what we've been handed around, what a certain thing should look like, how people should experience it? And I know for for Black, for Indigenous, for people of color, what we like to call the global majority, because that's yes, what we are.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Our relationship to therapy is real tricky. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You
0: know, sometimes mm-hmm. we want to pray it away. We want mm-hmm. Jesus to take it. Yes, we do. And sometimes, as a, a practitioner of African traditional religion, we want Orisha to take it. We're like, I'm not going to deal with a therapist. I'm going to let my goon-goon and my ancestors and the Orisha and take that. care of it. Yep. Everybody. And it's like, yes. We have multiple tools for our health and wellness and therapy done the right way is a potent tool. So I want to hear how you came up with this, not only name, but framework for making therapy more accessible to the folk who need it within the context of understanding all of the oppression and history and experiences we've had. Mm
1: -hmm. Beautiful questions. Yes, thank you. Well, I would say... That I was forced into this work by my goon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not even joking. Yeah. I, I was. Really... No, no, you're <laughs> it, it was sort of like being hit on the head multiple times and rerouting me and reshowing me. And I really think I embarked on the process first internally, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where I think it begins. Mm-hmm. And I tell therapists and people that hold space and healers this all the time that this isn't is more than a theory. This is a this is a life process, right? And I think that that's what's so important about this decolonial work is like the slow undoing mm-hmm. and how painful that can be. <laughs> right? To realize like so much of what we've been taught is not quite it. Or might not be quite it for us. Mm-hmm. And so for me it was a process of unwrapping all of that for me, looking at it and then realizing that a field that I loved so much and a field that I cared about so much and practices that I thought were so helpful were not actually helpful for the majority of people that I was treating or working with. Mm-hmm. And it was incomplete and insufficient. And I think most things are incomplete and insufficient. And I get that. However, most folks that I was serving would end up saying to me, you know, Dr. Jen, um, this is great. I like you. I appreciate what we're talking about. I appreciate how we do this, but I've also had these kind of therapists. They just told me to cut my locks. They told me to do this to get a job. They told me, you know, they were telling me, oh, you think you're making this up a little bit. No one was telling me about racial trauma. No one is talking to me about how things my mom and dad didn't work on might be showing up in my own life. That's BS. Right. And and I'm a little, little turned off and I'm not sure if this will work. And so really, this work rests on the soldier, soldier, soldiers, listen to me, <laughs> shoulders, <laughs> 40 and slip, of uh, my ancestors and the people, my clients, so the people that I work with. And so finally, one day after a retreat, my students were like, okay, we, we put you on Instagram. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, Jen, we put you on Instagram because A, the world needs this. Yes. You've been doing this work with us for 12 years. You've been doing retreats with us where we're screaming, crying, vomiting, dealing with ancestors, channeling, like, you know, us inner city, us. And I mean, me too, but them, they're saying like, we're inner city black, brown kids, right? Filipino kids, Arab kids. And we're over here, regardless of our religious beliefs, mm-hmm. connecting to something bigger and actually feeling like we can heal ourselves. And we're using community to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, I think part of decolonizing therapy, what I realize is that, we are going through a revolution, right? Internal ones, external ones, we are already going through a revolution and maybe it's not going to look exactly the way revolutions were back in the day, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe, you know, maybe it looks different because of the cyber world, the internet, Instagram, but we are going through a revolution. And I think that part of the decolonizing of therapy is A, looking at what we need to make it current, Mm -hmm. palatable while the world is changing, while things are falling down around us, right? How do we take care of people that don't have access to services, right? And how do we remember our past and look at what helped healing with our ancestors?
0: Absolutely. First of all, shout out to your students for being like, Dr. Jen, we put you on Instagram. I mean, a lot of the reasons why I'm on Instagram is because somebody who's younger than me, who teaches me and Encourages me he was like, You should get on the gram. And I was like, Well, what do I do on the gram? And so I did. But I appreciate that. And that does become an access point for so much important culture shift work. You know, it's tricky. Social media is tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. do think that social media is one of those technologies. Like, if you understand it for what it is, it can be a tool that connects if you're careful with it. Yes. I want to shift gears a little bit to ask you: Have you had the opportunity or the experience of being able to support people who are navigating either getting older or menopause? And I would love to hear like how you apply this decolonizing piece specifically to this menopause or, or
1: aging journey. Yeah, yeah, love the question. And when I first sat with it, I thought, you know, I don't think I'm even realizing that we're doing it sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Or what that looks like or how that shows up. And so what I will say is the first thing is allowing individuals to acknowledge the pain, the grief, the sadness, the overwhelm, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: related to what can feel like a loss initially, Mm -hmm. right? And so in decolonial work, I should say, I look at historical trauma, and how that impacts us and shows up in our bodies too. And so the first thing we're doing is unpacking and exploring what that looks like for us, paying attention to whether or not we know if anyone in our family line has Mm -hmm. ever went into menopause um, earlier than 50 or what what did it look like for them? Did they complain about it? Did they say, oh gosh, you know, I can't wait till I have menopause or can't wait till I don't get my period anymore or... Some people have mm-hmm. seen matriarchs and folks in their family, quote unquote, be unwell and lose it, whatever that means. Right. During the menopause time. Mm-hmm. And then everybody called them again, air quotes here, like crazy. Oh, that's auntie so-and-so. You know, she don't t- don't talk to her. And they, didn't, they maybe didn't address menopause. Like I just felt like it's like this silent monster in the room sometimes, it,
0: right? It does feel like that. It feels like the trope is, and I, I'm only gonna speak from like inside a black community, is when your mom, your auntie, your grandma or close family friends are become mean. <laughs> mean, right. hot and sweaty. Yes. And it's yes. like and there's yes. no curiosity yes. around why mommy is tired, why she's weepy, why she might be snappy, why yes. she with yes. her keys why auntie so-and-so is so cold in her house and she will flick all the way off on you if you touch the thermostat because she's having hot... A- Listen, I I do have a little trauma behind that that I work out on my own. Mm. My, my, my aunt Emma will let you have it. Do not touch the thermostat. You yes. get bust all the way out. But I do think that there was a lack of curiosity on my part. I can't speak for other people. And a, a lack of understanding or compassion because I hadn't experienced what they were experiencing yet. Yes. But there's one of those beautiful things that exists inside of our community is that is that saying in the notion of keep living daughter, yeah. keep living. And if you keep, keep living, living and you get to this place, you can look back in hindsight and be like, what I was seeing that was so illegible to me at that time yes. was likely evidence of a menopause journey that I didn't know what that meant and I also didn't know how to engage with it.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah. And you know, it comes up for me too the other piece of this work and doing the work for people in this like decolonial kind of body menopause thing is really also looking at our relationship to the medical industrial complex and the medical field and especially if you are of the African diaspora, right? And, and what are the ways that this system or gynecology and American gynecology, as we know it has experimented on our bodies mm-hmm. you know? and, and like, how does that affect trust? How does that affect, you know, I know when I went to the reproductive endocrinologist, to be honest, it's funny because I don't talk about this a lot. So this is, I think this is really, this is another piece, right? It's talking about it. Like that's part of it. And that's why I was like, no, I definitely got to be on this podcast. Like I have to talk about this for myself, yeah. but for others, right? For other black women out there that are like, oh, all I remember seeing is this, to keep it real, Skinny, perky, blue-eyed white doctor mm-hmm. and her pictures of her children. <laughs> That's fine. And I just remember feeling so much anger. Mm-hmm. So I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping yes. it. And I don't always feel like that. I'm not walking around in the world like, oh, okay. But it was just like sort of. And they and I I just had surgery maybe a year or a couple, not even a year before for fibroids. It was the first surgery I ever had. Mm-hmm. And I kept asking, I had 18. 18 fibroids, some as big as my fist. And so this is very common. We know that this is very common in the black community. We can get into a whole conversation about why, where, how we see this showing up, but literally months. And I was feeling good after that surgery months. Then my menses was coming like very sporadically, Mm -hmm. sporadically. And then my doctor was like, Whoa, if that was the case, and you're going into early menopause, we should have just taken out the whole womb. And I thought, what wait why, why why
0: would that be the obvious next step thank you to do a full hysterectomy thank you
1: cuz that has so many i mean and there are great reasons why people do it and there are reasons why people choose not to and i respect both right. and i would have chosen not to have gotten a full hysterectomy regardless mm-hmm. and so i say all of this to say that I wasn't prepared for what was going to happen. They were offering me popcorn, for goodness sake. I'm like, popcorn? Bruh, you're telling me that my (laughs)
0: birth right? Mm
1: -hmm. And and all I felt was this anger at her telling me, you just need to be on birth control. You need to be on this. You need to do it. And I'm like, there's Mm -hmm. something kind of dark and sick about asking me to be on birth control, Dr. Mm So-and-so. When... There ain't no birth to control. And I said it like that. I was like, I'm a little, this is feeling. And, you know, I went into her room. They did the echo. She was like, oh, yeah, you probably will never be able to carry. And da, 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 even if this and this. And this whole, she's like, no, none, none of the eggs are viable. And I was like, Dr. So-and-so, the language is really hard for me right now. Like the language you're using, I'm really struggling with. And as And she kept, I just kept looking at the pictures of her children. And I kept thinking... Even if I was a person that never felt like I definitely want to have my children, it felt like there was a period or sometimes I still feel like that, to be honest, that my body just couldn't do what I needed it to do. Mm -hmm. That my body failed me in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anyone, I didn't go to work for a whole week. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to work for a whole week and nobody could understand it. Even though I shared with my boss just a little bit, another black woman, an older black woman. and, And I shared and she was like, Oh, okay. Okay. But, um, but are you hurt? Are you? And I'm like, Oh, I just can't talk about it right now. Right. Like, you know, I couldn't talk about it with my mom. I didn't talk to anybody for a week and that's not like me. Anyone that knows me, you know, I have my people, I have my support. Yeah. And to be honest, I think many days I'm grieving. And so like the decolonial process, I think that grief needs to be acknowledged that disenfranchised grief. I think menopause can fall under that for many of us where like folks don't realize that there is sort of a, we're stepping into something else. Mm-hmm. Almost like a, your body stepping into this like elderhood energy, <laughs> whether or not you feel like one or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's something. But for me going into earlier menopause, then to hear my mom like, oh, well, yeah, I, I think that I stopped, stopped getting my period around 40, 41. And then I was like, wait, you never said that to me. you never-. Right. And not her fault,
0: because she already had her children. She wasn't thinking... She wasn't thinking that it was a conversation that was necessary at this point, maybe, perhaps. I think that, one, I want to say thank you for sharing that. That's really important. And I'm grateful for you opening yourself up and, and giving us that part of that story, because I do think that this story will resonate with a lot more people. Each story that is lifted up and put out into the world around how unique and complex this menopause journey can be finds its soulmate, finds its helpmate, finds its kindred. Like so many people be like, That's my story, Mm -hmm. or that's my story. Mm -hmm. Or if it isn't their story, it gives them something to reconsider around how they respond to other people sharing their story. This idea that we get rushed through grief. Yes, it's pervasive, and it's. I think it particularly so for Black folks. We do it ourselves because of our own internalized oppression around grief, death, dying, separation, anger, whatever. And then certainly capitalism reinforces. this like, so you need like forty eight hours to get yourself together, then you go back to work, right? You you good? You you good, right? And you are like, not really. But I feel like I have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. Fine, and then you're like not fine, but functioning, and it's like this this vicious cycle. You you posted something on Instagram that kind of took my breath away a couple of weeks ago. You said grief is the sibling of rage. mm. When I tell you, it stopped me in my tracks. I stretched Mm. out. (laughs) Oh, oh, Jesus! (laughs) What? And I um, move in the world with a few identities, one of them being a death doula. Yeah. Um, but I recently lost someone close to me who actually was one of the first people we interviewed for the podcast.
1: I'm sorry.
0: person is an oh, thank yeah. you. This person is a beloved elder. And so I'm on my own grief journey again, because it's not yeah. like it's, your journey with grief is finite. Yes. You know, it, yes. it comes back and it returns in different ways. And I think yes. in the context of menopause, part of the way that I experience some people who are especially scared of their menopause journey and really, really fearful of having the conversation is this grieving of an ending Mm -hmm. or this grieving of what feels like vitality, what feels like value, what feels like opportunities to be seen as sexually appealing or attractive, like that's going to come to a hard stop based on this trope, because we know that's not true, based on the stereotype that we know that's not true. And the people are grieving that, and they're also pissed off. Yes, Can you say some more about this, this beautiful gift you gave us around grief and rage being siblings?
1: Yes. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that that impacted you. Okay. You know, sometimes we're just going along in our work thinking, "Yeah, maybe this just matters to me. <laughs> Actually, I was just writing about that last night, writing a book. I was literally just finishing the chapter on grief and mm. I'm realizing lately that I'm calling it sort of like this collective grief mm-hmm. and this sacred ancestral rage. Mm-hmm. I do feel like there are two sides of the same coin. A, in our bodies believe it or not although one is more activated and externalized and one is more internalized or so we think Mm -hmm. we think Mm -hmm. i think that rage and grief i love them (laughs) i have a love affair with my rage and grief it However, each of us have a tendency to be more partial to one rather than the other. That that resonates. Hence why my students and folks will call me the rage doctor, because I'm much more comfortable not just showing my rage, but being in a place of that righteous rage. Absolutely. It feels safer somehow to my body as opposed to the grief that can feel like depression for people. Mm -hmm. But I think that what happens, or I'm pretty clear about what happens, is that For some individuals, they're in a place of going within, Mm. of protecting themselves, that that grief almost feels embarrassing Mm. or like what they are grieving feels like something that others cannot sort of touch. And as we know, and as you mentioned, our society wants us to hurry up and get over it, Mm -hmm. right? Wants us to hurry up and just move past it. But grief and rage are essential to each other's process. Mm. rage is misunderstood and often seen as just acting out being loud getting angry it's actually not anger right for me anger is like as i said before much more about oh someone cut me off and i almost hit their car or you know my doctor's two hours late for this appointment come on i have a session i have you know but this rage is ancient Mm. it's old she they uh for me is she so that's why I you know um I kind of slithers in like a fog in my opinion and there's this energy of, protection there. So one of my teachers and mentors, Ruth King, I talk about her book a lot, wrote Healing Rage, Women Making Inner Peace Possible. And she has birthed and channeled the six disguises of rage. And I think that understanding those six disguises not only changed my life, but changed my relationship to rage and grief in that, A, you can be super depressed Mm -hmm. and really be sitting on this big egg of grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, of rage, Mm -hmm. you know, and so a lot of individuals will mask their rage with either depression, Mm -hmm. unconsciously, Mm -hmm. um, distraction, Mm -hmm. defiance, Mm -hmm. dominance, which is what we think rage looks like, Mm -hmm. devotion, I'm going to devote myself to this cause, to these people, to these students, to this, I I think I'm missing one, I'm not sure which one I said or not, But but yeah, there's these six, there's these six Disguises and these disguises keep us alive. They keep us here. They keep us functioning. They keep us running podcasts and business, right? They keep us okay. (laughs) They keep us seeing clients and not internalizing what it is we're feeling about our own stuff that's popping up. Uh And so I also think that they're both essential to each other. So I often will tell people in sessions when they're really, really, really struggling with like energy. Mm and they're feeling quite depressed and they're having a lot of depressive symptoms. Like I like when they get anxious. I'm not anxious. I like when they get irritated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, good. They're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is wonderful. And they're like, Dr. Jen, why are you smiling like a treasure cat? Because I'm over here snapping at everybody because that means you're getting activated. Yes.
0: Before we keep going with this episode, I just want to take a minute to tell you about another podcast from my friends at North Carolina Public Radio. Enchantress, intruder, an intimate, an enemy. Grief is the ultimate shapeshifter, a roommate we'd like to evict. But what if we embrace grief? What could we learn about her, from her? Join Grammy-nominated singer Nina Freelon for Great Grief, a podcast about love, loss, and learning to be among the living again. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and learn more at greatgrief.com. Yes, it's something you, to, a couple things you said that I want to go a little deeper with you on, these disguises. So as folk who are living at the intersection of whatever identities we move within the world and getting older, we have invested in these disguises. Yes. I know that I am I have been wholly invested in these disguises. Yes. What I call my protective mask. So part of my own therapeutic journey, spiritual healing journey, my own work with my ancestral wounds, mm-hmm. cuz I know you do deep work mm-hmm. with ancestral wounds, is the excavation of these masks yes. and not problematizing them. Yes. So my mode prior to menopause was to compartmentalize my identities and problematize them, shame them. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you did that when you were in your twenties. Oh my goodness. Why did you do that in your thirties? What was wrong with you in your early forties? Omi, oh, come on. Yes. And then, yes yeah you know, I'll be 55 next year. As I move more deeply into my menopause journey, more deeply also into some other deeper work, I realized that what I was doing was chopping myself up into bits Mm and which bit was deserving of my care and which bit was not. And so my goal in the last five years has been the reunification of all myself. And I know that that's some deeper ancestral work um, for me. And I don't, feel like I need to judge or shame myself around realizing that and also giving myself permission for that. My question for you is with some of the ancestral wound work or intergenerational trauma wound work that you do, how do you see that kind of like being amplified when someone's an older person to get at that with that person who has gotten to a place in their life where those masks, those disguises have kept them alive?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, usually people are right, stepping into the work because something's not working anymore. 9 mm. out of 10. I like to say that it's like pussing. <laughs> okay. Where almost like that disguise or that mask mm-hmm. is just like begging to be removed or it's been sliding off. And we're like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Let me fix my face. Let me fix my face. Okay. Yes. Let me fix my And it's funny because, um, and I don't think my mother would mind saying this. Long story short, you know, she she and I are very different, <laughs> very close and very different. And she grew up in an era where, you know, I'm going to serve my man. I love him. I this. And so she has gotten him used to certain things. And what's happening now in her early 70s, and she's like, you get up and get it. You this and this and that. You. I, and then she's calling me. I, I can't believe he's asking me to da da And he's getting angry, like, wow, what's wrong with you? You're nasty. You're I'm not nasty. I'm not a slave. And I, you know, what I find fascinating, I said that to her, I'm like, mm, I'm like the good girl's dying. Huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how I hear the work start to come in. Cause we can miss it. We can miss it. We can miss the opportunity to dive into that wound. We can miss the opportunity. I mean, there's consent. Do you want to dive into this? Right. Are you ready to do this? Yeah. And most elders will say to me, well, I don't, I don't got no choice. But it's. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's happening. Whether it's almost like a birth. Like it's happening. It's coming. And so usually some of the things that we start looking at are like, A, um, what is no longer serving you that has served you for a really long time that we need to give a death to? What do we need to put to rest? Do we need to put to rest the mammy energy? Do we need to put to rest the martyr energy love? Mm-hmm. Do we need to put to rest this Sexy vixen, you know I give it every day, and you just don't want to give in that way anymore. Like, what, what do we need to give a funeral to? And sometimes we do funeral work, you know, death doula, you know, uh, grief doula. I'm sorry, um, sometimes making space. I have literally had students really, really connected to our program. Their retreats, we crafted funerals. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about flowers. Yeah. They wanted to wear white. Mm-hmm. Some of them red lipstick with just a shirt on playing like old school Latin music, like some of them laying there and wanting people to adorn them with flowers, like really giving an honoring and a grief and a death to things that felt like a, they kept us alive. They kept us strong,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: B no longer serve us. So I'm a really big fan of ritual yes. and ceremony. Yes. And I feel like, that is something that my my ancestors are always like, they need some music to this. They need some flour to this. You know, I constantly feel this pull to ask people, have you ever seen your mother put a death to anything? Well, I mean, she'd throw things in a pot and she would burn it, but that's a ritual. That's a ritual. That's a a ritual. Yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kicking someone out of the house that harmed you and then burning things and that's then right. playing loud music and smoking a cigar. That's right. It might not
0: have been legible to you at the time, but in retrospect, you're like, oh, I get it yes. now. I get yes. it now. Did you happen to watch Lovecraft Country last year? Oh,
1: I did. Loved. Yes. Listen, So,
0: Jen, you and I are on the same page. I mm-hmm. fell so oh. in love with this show, but mm-hmm. in particular with Agenew Ellis' character, Hippolyta Freeman. Um, had an opportunity to have a conversation with her at the beginning of the year about Hippolyta's character. And we talked about how Hippolyta on her journey was able to access taking off a mask, choosing herself, naming herself, claiming her rage. Yes. Also claiming great, delicious joy. Yes. Right, The scenes when she was in France and then the scenes where she was in Dahomey, it was like we are more than one thing. We are are more than one thing. And so thinking about what you shared about with your mom and her getting to this place in her early 70s and being like, you fix yourself some coffee. I'm not going to do it. You know, it's like the opportunity that we hope for is the ability to unpack what's behind that. And so many times we are not afforded that. It's not accessible to so many people in our community to be able to unpack why now you feel the way you do. Why now? What's not working actually is an opportunity for you to do something different. I wonder, um, in this place of supporting people who are navigating this transformation, I said to someone the other day, I think that menopause to me is like when my navigational system in my body got recalibrated and was like, new information, new information. And you're like, oh, oh, this
1: is...
0: It's, you know, it's like when when a navigational system starts lighting up, it's like a yes. whole light started popping out like one of my boobs or like <laughs> I, gray hair started going from dark to gray to white and you're like, What's wait? What's happening? And your body's like, New message, new message, pay attention. Mm. Do you have thoughts or suggestions or some words of encouragement for folk who are realizing they want to be more open mm-hmm. in this menopause journey, yeah. and they might feel like, I don't even know where to begin. So I'm wondering if you might have a little word of encouragement for them around, sure. you know, here's a good place to maybe think about beginning.
1: Yeah. And I love how you said that new message, and I know it's going to, I really love that. I really love that. Yeah. I would say, well, number one, this might seem really obvious. Mm-hmm. Be so effing compassionate with yourself. We tend to like look down a little bit. I know I do. And just like, oh yeah, compassion. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, compassion. But enacting it rather than intellectualizing it is so hard. When we're like, oh no, my body can't do that today. I know I said I was going to do A, B, C, and D. But this message, (laughs) using your metaphor, is saying no and I'm really tired. So I would say start shifting the way that we talk to ourselves. For instance, I would say, oh my gosh, I'm so lazy. I can't get off the couch. Or I'm watching another episode of Sex Ed. Or I'm watching another episode of whatever. Why can't I get off the couch? I'm so lazy. And I one day had a reframe. of like, wait a minute. I'm not lazy. I am exhausted. I am tired. I pick something else. I am resting, which is part of joy and decolonization work, Mm -hmm. right? Where I'm able to reclaim my energy as a creative Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: that way I can create tomorrow or tonight or whatever it is. So I think reframing how we talk to ourselves and make sure that the eurocentricity and the oppression and that level that we're not internalizing it as deeply and just kind of, ah, there you are. Okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, nope, cancel, clear, delete. We're not doing that today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say that sometimes, cancel, clear, delete. No, 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 take that out. Like, <laughs> like Dumbledore taking a thought out of his head in Harry Potter. Okay. Like, like, and I imagine it. But another thing is find or attract, depending who you are and your human design and your <laughs> mm-hmm. find, attract, bring to you the right guides and people. Right. And I think that that's really important. There are people that I think are amazing at what they do, but for whatever reason, every time I go to do more work with them for my own healing, or it just doesn't align. And I have to ask myself, oh, is it me? Mm-hmm. No. Is it... There's something here. Maybe it doesn't align for me right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So just because everyone is jumping and loving A, B, C, and D doesn't mean it is for you mm-hmm. or doesn't mean that red light, therapy is going to work for you, or tapping is going to work for you, or the body-based work is going to work for you. Um, so these seem basic, but I don't think that they're basic because sometimes I spend hours and sessions re-reminding people mm-hmm. that we have a right also to set boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. yeah. yeah, yeah. We do. And that's important. I do think that we are
0: living in a moment in time. And I think that not the advent of social media, but the amplification that has happened over the last couple of years nice. has made people more keen on different technologies around support. So I see a lot more people becoming interested and curious about African traditional religion, people much more interested around somatic practice or Reiki or energy work. Mm-hmm. And I do offer to folk who reach out to me, I say, it's important for you to vet the folk that you're going to be working with. And I think it's important because, you know, for folk who are interested in somebody who is coming from a spiritual practice or tradition that's millennial old, multiple millennials old, people have lineage in those traditions. And so if you're curious about if this person is the right person for you, I always say a very simple question to ask them is like, what's your lineage? And if that person can't give you that lineage, that might be room for pause. Um, the other thing that I think feels really important and potent for us to remember is that our gut, man, that gut, that second brain is always on their grizzly. They're like, I'm on the job. And you're just like, shh, shh, be quiet. They're like, no, listen to me. I'm trying to tell you, do not do that. And you're just like, please, please be quiet. I've got this. And your your gut is like going bonkers. Trust your gut. Yes. Such a powerful, beautiful, yes. amazing thing yes. that lives right inside of your body. Yes. So yes. I just, when you were saying that, it's like, is it me? Yes. And are we not in alignment? It's like, no.
1: Yes. Yes. And if I may, I don't mean to cut you off. You I know you bad. Um, And for some of us, I know for myself, it is such a journey and a half to trust that gut and to figure out, like, or even when people used to try to tell me, what does your body want to eat? Hell, a box of Milo Mars. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I know it's bad. I wouldn't touch it 12 months a year or 11 months out of the year. However, mm-hmm. if you're asking me what it's this, you know, or if you're asking me if I like this person, yes, mm-hmm. no, but every other flag is. So I think that sometimes trusting it is so hard when we've been exposed to so much trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we have been, um, when, Sometimes when our gut has led us to painful experiences, I I just want to acknowledge that I seen for myself and for others that stepping into our power in big ways Mm -hmm. and trusting that gut, that I love, like that second brain Mm -hmm. is the journey too. You know, sometimes it's, I... I feel like that is the gift that menopause has given me mm-hmm. is to stop comparing myself because I think we all do it maybe in small and big ways to what I should be doing right now right. what my body should be doing should I have had I should have this I should have that stop shitting on myself right <laughs> right? right and That's instead true. like drop in because you're so right that that knowing with a capital K mm-hmm will always steer us right when we're in sort of a grounded, safe enough place.
0: thank you. I really appreciate, oh my gosh, your energy is so amazing. For folk who are listening, I can see Jennifer, you can't see her, but she's just got like, light and energy just popping off of her. And it's. Just, I'm just really glad I get to look at you while we're talking. We have two more questions, and then I'm going to ask you to do something that we ask all of our guests to do, which is to make an offering to yeah. the guide. At one point, when I first started the Black Girls Guide, I thought that I was going to write a book in that Everything that somebody said was going to eventually live in this repository in this book. But what I have come to realize is that the Black Girls Guide is its own living entity. And so Mm. the offering to the Black Girls Guide is what fuels it and also gets put back out into the world in so many different ways. And so I'll ask you what your offering will be before we end out. But I'm really curious for you as somebody who's been on this long journey with supporting people, holding space, deep, deep learning, and also deep actual practice around healing and trauma and ancestral mm-hmm. work. Um, what still excites you about your work as a clinical psychologist? What's the thing that you're like, oh gosh, I'm so excited to be still learning this, Omi?
1: Yeah, that is cha- That honestly, that it's outgrowing, mm. it's shedding. I feel like it's in menopause. <laughs> You know, like, like there, there's movement and people that want to make it better. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of people are saying, hey, the way that it works now is not sustainable for most people of the global majority. Mm-hmm. And the way that it's working now, it's like a needle in a haystack. It's like finding a magical unicorn to get that right mm-hmm. match. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to do this different? And I love, love seeing all the ways that keeps changing and morphing and kind of it feels creative it feels like a very creative holistic collective process truly in its core Mm -hmm. and so i love witnessing that i'm not alone in saying hey i'm a critical lover of my field i I love things about it and these things are harmful Mm -hmm. this isn't working and so when i notice change I get excited because I feel like there's movement there, there's not that much stagnation. And it also tells me that the death and rebirth process that I think is very natural and healthy is playing out. Mm -hmm. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah, so that's what
0: comes up for me. Yeah, the death and rebirth of it all, the death and rebirth of it all, I really appreciate that. And this feels really potent for us to think about is like the rebirth. This phoenix rising kind of situation is a real thing. And I, I hope that anybody who's you know taking some time to have a cup of coffee or take a walk and listen to this conversation that we've had this afternoon will remember that the rebirth is absolutely a part of your journey with yes. menopause. And it's okay to go through this transformation, even if it's hard, it's okay mm-hmm. to go through it. I um, mean, you're not going alone. We are journeymates. We are journeymates on this yeah. On yes. this path. And so welcome to the path with us. So before we end out, like I said, I wanted to give you an opportunity <laughs> to make an offering. So if you yes. want to take a moment to think about like, what would that offering be to people who are listening, especially people who are listening, who are trying to figure out how do I better support my own mental health while I am navigating, making sure I'm understanding what's happening to me around menopause and aging.
1: So. Yes yeah um so what i would like to offer is two parts not long yeah (laughs) one piece will be a small action and something that i do in mornings Um, a small practice and the other piece is a small piece that i want to read Mm -hmm. and that works um so if you are so feeling it either look down or close your eyes and place your hands one on your belly Area and one on your heart or your throat, wherever you feel like it's a little bit more blocked generally. Mm -hmm. And take a deep breath in from the bottom of your feet and blow it out, pulling that belly in, and another deep breath and blow out. And let your breath come to its natural space. And what we're going to do together, if you like is start saying, I love me, Mm. I love me, I love me. I love me. And then faster, longer, louder. I love me. 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 And feel the vibration in your body. I love me. I love me. I love me. I love me. Think of your thighs. Think of your hips. Think of your belly, the womb space, the arms, your hair, any wrinkles, any jiggles, toenails that are neglected, heels that are cracked, you know, booty that's feeling the hardness of your chest a little bit more, I love me, 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 and then breathe it out in a, ah, whoo, and just shake the hands out or the shoulders or your arms or your whatever, whatever feels safe and good to you kind of push the energy off, like you're slowing it off your shoulders, if you'd like, patting yourself. And then I'd like to end with just these words. Since I was calling forth the spirit of rage, I feel like it's important to just end with a little bit of rage love. (laughs) Um, And this is just from the beginning of Ruth's book, and I'm going to share this with you. So rage is an oppressed child emotion housed deep within our bodies, mind and spirit. We tend to react to our rage child as an emotional enemy to be eliminated, a fire to be feared. But more accurately, our rage child is a natural resource of misused energy. And she exists whether we acknowledge her or not, or they exist whether we acknowledge them or not. They are the child of our traumas, the twin of our shame, the burden of our denied histories, the foreign language of our emotional pain, and the wisdom that helps us heal. Our rage child is, once, is at once young and old, young because she is tied to our personal traumas and has been suppressed, and old because she's an accumulation of unresolved anger and shame. Well,
0: wow. I My goodness. <laughs> Well, that's the benediction for today's show. (laughs) That's a perfect closing. My goodness. Dr. Jen, this was such a pleasure to talk to you, to see you, to connect with you off of the social medias. And I'm really grateful. Can you let people know how they can find you and how they can follow you? And I will also add this information to the description section of the podcast. So I want you to say it, but I will also make sure people can see it and find it.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you, Omishade. This has been, I love your energy. I love the work you're bringing into this world. And I thank you. Yeah, you can find me on the socials, right on Instagram, at Decolonizing Therapy, on Twitter at Dr. Jenny Jenem, and our website is drjennifermullin.com, D-R-J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-M-U-L-L-A-N. Also, if you're interested in doing more rage work, I have a a course called honoringrage.com. You can go to that landing page, honoringrage.com. We have a sliding scale. And we also have another course, is minimizing it, but journey for organizations, practices, small businesses, grassroots orgs that are looking to politicize their practice. I don't like to say decolonize our practice because that's long term. Mm-hmm. And it's called politicizingyourpractice.com. Mm-hmm. And it is a series that is pre recorded talking about historical trauma, intergenerational trauma, how and why colonization relates to therapy what that looks like and how we can start undoing some of its effects. Yes, so grateful
0: to you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Thank you again for checking out this episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. I really do hope you enjoyed the conversation that we got to have with Dr. Jennifer Mullen. She's just an amazing person and spirit in this world. And if you're interested in learning more about her decolonizing therapy practice, there's a description listed below along with her website and where you can find her on social media. I have to say, I can't believe that we are here at the end of season three. You know, when I started the Black Girl's Guide in 2019, I wasn't even sure we were gonna get through one season, let alone three seasons and be preparing for season four. I hope you will stay tuned. I hope you will continue to follow us on social media. And also I hope you will continue to support the work that we're doing to normalize menopause through storytelling. If you wanna learn more about our work, please check out our website listed below, blackgirlsguidetosurvivingmenopause.com. If you would like to make a financial contribution to the work that we do and the content that we create that is created by black women, women identified and gender expansive people, please consider making a donation via our Patreon or you can make a one-time donation. Either way, any donation that is made will be received with an open heart and so much appreciation. We hope that you'll stay tuned and continue to support the work that we're doing into season four. We're really excited about the voices and the stories that we're going to be offering to you. Once again, Please don't forget to reach out to us and let us know how you enjoy the episodes or also if there's something you would really like for us to discuss. You can send your listener letters to our email, decolonizingthecrone at gmail.com. That's decolonizingthecrone.com all one word, at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we appreciate your feedback and also just how these episodes are landing on you. So again, y'all, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being kindred spirits on this path. And we will see you again on the dark side of the moon.